Happy Wednesday to you, Lima Land. Welcome into Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We appreciate you joining us, however you're doing so, whether it's on your radio at 93.1thefan.com or on the free 93.1 The Fan app. We do appreciate your time and your attention to what we have to say. Quite a night in high school hoops last night in the Lima area. Garrett and I had our fan game of the week over at Bath High School. Bath hosting the Perry Commodores. We went through it great detail and won't anymore. The tumultuous couple of weeks that has been at Perry. Uh, squeezed in a couple of wins leading into last night. Yeah. Probably on paper, a game that they were heavily favored to win. And somebody forgot to tell Sean Powell and the Bath Wildcats that that was supposed to be the case. Because really from start to finish, they played with a little more togetherness, a little more intensity. They played with a great deal of toughness. And as is awfully important in the game of basketball, they made a lot of shots. <laughs> they made a lot of shots, while Perry, on the other hand, was struggling to make a lot of shots. And uh, Bath gets a a big 13-point, 56-43 win over the Perry Commodores at Bath. Uh, this is about three games in the last four that we've broadcast where the outcome was considerably different than maybe we thought was likely yeah at least going in and it's a little bit of fun to that although i gotta admit it wasn't real fun when saint mary's was they had 36 to 6 on shawnee see there's there's a point for me though where it gets to be like how big how big are you gonna bust this open because i did a game one time uh, remember the the very short-lived like how or season opening tournament between van Wert, crestview i do lincoln view and wayne trace I do. And there was one night Bainwork JCs or somebody who put that on? I can't um, remember. At the hospital, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. The hospital. There was one night where Wayne Trace, I think in the championship game, was leading Wayne or was leading Van Wert twenty eight nothing at the half. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there, for every basketball player in the area, if there is ever to be a coach that you would want to have, when you had scored zero points at the half, that would be Dave Fralick. Because that guy's not going to beat you in the locker room. There are some other guys that I'm not certain wouldn't just take, wouldn't be, wouldn't just throw their career away to beat your ass in the locker room at halftime if you scored zero points in the half. Well, so it's kind of fun to see, you know, how how big is this going to get before somebody goes, all right, that's enough, or we're done. I got I got to agree with you on on two fronts. One, having that happen in the first half and having to enter that locker room would be incredibly uncomfortable. The only thing that's less comfortable is the realization we got to come back out of this thing and do this again. <laughs> we got to do we got to do that. But first. I got to tell you, there's some experiences that I've had in basketball where I wished I could get to the locker room and just hide for a little bit. <laughs> Because we had the audacity once when I was at Ada, and we had a 16-win basketball team. We were a pretty good team. We went seven and three in the Northwest Conference that year. It was 1996-97. Lincoln View, and Coach Kill loves this story. And he was a senior on that team. We go to their place, and we we just miss a three at the halftime buzzer. Like it rims out, and we are down 25-17 at half. And I'm thinking we could, it could have been 25-20. Like we we right, we're right, right there, there. Ha- we're right there. The momentum into the half. We just have to come out in the third, and we've got to throw the first punch. Garrett, we we took three timeouts in the third quarter, turned it over after every single one of those timeouts, Oof. and when the third quarter ended, the score was 60 to 17. The halftime score was twenty-five to seventeen. You can do the math. Yeah, it was a, it was five touchdowns in the third, and I, I I didn't I wanted to go to the locker room and I had to wait a whole other quarter in order to get that done. 
Uh, Did you ever think about pulling like one of those Gene Hackmans and Hoosiers where you're just like, my team's on the floor, or like just go back to the locker room? Like, if you guys aren't going to well, listen, I'm no, just going to go back here and sit. Honestly, I really loved that team. And, and, and part of what bothered me was we got to the third quarter, went to the bench and sat down. I, I crouched in front of him and I said, listen, and I pointed to each guy and I said, tomorrow night we've got Corey and you've got X, Y, or Z. You've got X. And I gave them their matchups and I said, I need three minutes of what we're going to do and how we're going to play when we get on the f- floor tomorrow night against Corey Ross. And give me three minutes and I'll get you all out. Because I really didn't want him to sit on the bench right at the end of the third, empty it, and have him just sit there and sob. Because the part of it that was right. hard was they believed they could win. And then, it was obvious that they believed it or we wouldn't have had that reaction. So we did that. We kind of fought. But here was the funny part. Wes Dudgeon is as competitive a human as I've ever watched play high school sports. And he opened the fourth quarter on the floor as well. Our first entry pass to the wing of the fourth quarter after they had just scored 35 and given us nothing for a whole quarter, he lunged and grunted and landed at my feet trying to dive and steal an entry pass when it was 60 to 17. And I thought, can we get three minutes out of my guys? We're going to get them out right now. So I say all that to say I, I feel really, really bad for coaches who go through that. So when, when we saw that the other night, I felt really bad. The, the, the converse or flip side of that is when you've got a guy trying to establish something the way Sean Powell is, and you've got mile markers and you've got measuring sticks, you also need to create buy-in. And unfortunately, yeah. in sports, there's only one real way to create deep-seated buy-in, and you've got you to win some games. And that's a huge, huge win for their program. It's a huge win for their program. Well, and I was really proud of him and them and watching them play and do the little things right there was so much about that game that wasn't just about the score but I really felt good for Bath that the score went the way it did it take it says a lot to me about the person you are as a coach and about the kids you've got when your game plan probably when the words come out of your mouth of guys we're not good enough to play the way that they want to play because your stupid masculine ego says, well, I'll show I'm bull crap. I'm going to show you that we're good. And those kids played in a game plan that everybody on the floor for Bath knew exactly what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to play. Because it had probably been drilled into them. We are not good enough to make the usual mistakes that we're going, that we would make over the course of a, you know, an effort mistake. We're not good enough to beat this team if we do that stuff so we're gonna have to get in the weeds and really muck it up to be successful and that's exactly what they did and they won by 13 yes they did another i think it 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 takes one a really good coach to get like you said they're three and eleven those kids probably have every reason to be like this guy didn't know what he's doing he's we brought this guy in from a state championship team to (laughs) to coach us to three and eleven so we can get our tails but no they did exactly what was asked of them, and there were a couple times where they forgot. Yeah, that, there <laughs> that, were a couple that they were doing what they were doing. <laughs> there were a couple, but for the most part, they played the game exactly the way they wanted to play it. And if they can get somewhat consistent, that's a tough out in March. They are they are a tough out in March. Confidence is a funny thing, and style of play in March is going to slow down for everybody. They're already there. They're already playing a little slower. They're yeah. shortening games. They're doing things. And I said it. You know, when you watch a team playing against a Perry team that you know wants to fly around and create turnovers, 
And every guy on Bath's team that caught the basketball, every guy made a pass fake of some sort before he made the next pass. They still had 19 turnovers. That's not a good number. Nobody's going to like that right. number. But, but I'm telling you, I watched that game, and it might sound like a small, nuanced, basketball snobby thing to say. It was impressive to see those guys have the kind of discipline that it takes to try and execute what you have to against a team that pressures the way Perry does. And they, they got the win, and they deserved it. And that wasn't the only 13-point, quote-unquote, upset in, in Lima Land last night. The Shawnee Indians went over to Upper Sauda Valley. And I don't know if you're 12-1, and one, can you be considered an underdog? But I would say probably to most people, uh, a Division Four school the size of Upper Sauda Valley playing out of the Northwest Central Conference, taking on uh, Shawnee, Division Two Western Buckeye League. Even though Shawnee had come in with, with three consecutive losses, Upper was coming off of a loss to St. Mary's, 18-point uh, loss, and... 13-point win for Upper Sauda Valley, 71-58. They get the win. They get 43 combined out of their top two guys, Connor Sanders and Jackson Roars, and, and, and just enough. I think 8-9-8 and eight were their other three starters, so almost five guys in double figures. And the Rams go to 13-1, and one, and I, surprising maybe, but a win, and, and a win that probably for them was really, really valuable yeah. because they're coming off of that loss where somebody's sitting somewhere saying, see, they don't play anybody. That's why they lose against good teams. Absolutely. Well, they played a good team last night, and they didn't lose. No, and when... You can go, you can go one and one in the Western Buckeye League. Ah, they're two and one in the Western Buckeye League. They beat Kenton earlier in the season. So USV, just with one loss in WBL play, things are going well for for the Rams. But you're right. When it's easy to cynically look at their schedule and go, oh Ben Logan, Waynesville Goshen, Miller City, Lincolnview, oh really murderers roll there, and then you lose to St. Mary's, who's playing pretty good basketball, <laughs> come out and beat a Shawnee squad that um, they're. One of their two losses last year was to a uh, school that had the hometowns of their kids listed on the website <laughs> in the state semifinals. That's a big win for a school, for, for any school. And one, that's kind of the curse of being really great the last couple of years for Shawnee is you're going to get everybody's best every night out. And if they beat you, they're going to celebrate like they just won the Super Bowl. And justifiably so. Shawnee's still a very good basketball team. And USV got a home win over them. And Wapakoneta improved to 10-5 and last night with a 45-37 win over the Lima Central Catholic Thunderbirds at LCC. i got to be honest with you, Garrett. We did Wapak a couple of times real early in the year, and I loved what I saw from how they were approaching things, but I didn't see a 10-5 and basketball team three, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, whatever it was. And, and uh, they are at 10-5 and with a win over Shawnee, a win over LCC, some impressive wins, really putting together a string of, of effective yeah. and successful basketball playing the way they play. went to Jackson Center and got a win on the road, which isn't easy. I don't care what the divisions of the two schools are. That's not an easy thing to do. And uh, so those... And, and, what, both, what, and your dad is the head coach on <laughs> yeah. the other side, you know. And so we'll look forward to a visit uh, a little bit later in the program with Dre White of Upper Side of Valley and Trey Elkert of Wapakoneta High School. They'll be on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. We're going to have a little baseball talk because the hall voted and Writers suck, and I'm just going to leave that there. We'll visit with Bob McGilligan for our Blue Jackets blast. we got a whole lot going on today, so i got to get us through this non-jiggy jeweler timeout. We'll be back after this. John and Garrett cooking the monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor studio where cooking the monster is presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com where you can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Now, admittedly, Garrett, the, f- the framework and structure of our show is such that we have shorter segments and there's probably not yeah. a lot of time for phone calls. But we get text messages while we're off the air that if people would just call in and share <laughs> their stories, they can bleep things out. They, we, we, it would be so much fun. that we, we, we should get to have some level of as much fun on the air as we have during breaks because 
well, I thought my story was the best bad <laughs> bad experience in a, in a quarter of basketball story that I could hear, and you just read one that's better. Yeah, apparently things didn't go well for Ottaville versus St. Peter's and Paul a few years ago. Back uh, It's been more than a few years ago, but the text message of the halftime speech. I've often thought about trying to bring back the video stream of Cookie and the Monster, um, and people would wonder, what the hell are they laughing about during every commercial break? Because... Uh, well, could we video stream? Because like you're on the other side of the glass, I don't want to just be the only guy. Oh on no! The video yeah, oh no! Oh, we we get we get something worked up here. Get some split screen it. <laughs> like, why the hell? Are, <laughs> the hell's he laughing so hard for? <laughs> well, if I could read that text message on the air, yes, you would understand. I'm telling you, people just need to call in, and we'll we'll, we'll help you censor right. things. Bleep, we're almost bleep yourselves. we're almost good at it. <laughs> we get some practice. And if, if our petition goes through for 15 a week, we're... Then that's going to take some pressure off, isn't oh, it, buddy? Absolutely. We got poll questions today? We do. We've got two of them up at 9-3 on the fan on Twitter, and they've got the basically the same... It's with the same topic. Reportedly, Iowa's athletic director has told a college football reporter that the Big Ten is considering doing away with football divisions. And instead of having an East and West, each team in the Big Ten would have three permanent games on their schedule, and then they just would rotate throughout the rest of the Big Ten. So we're asking, should the Big Ten do away with football divisions? And 64% say yes. And I would have thought it would have been the other way. I thought about 64% would say no, shouldn't do away with it. I'm going to say something and make a genuine and sincere attempt not to insult our, our listeners who happen to vote in our Twitter polls. But I think there's a percentage of that vote that's driven by all they remember as leaders and legends, and they're still pissed about Could it. Be. So we don't need divisions. I don't know that they fully grasp what the scheduling implications would be by doing away with divisions. And if we got into a detailed conversation about that, and we might at some point in the program or at some point this week, uh, in fact, we've got a whole whole segment set aside for later in the program. We could explain what it might do to the schedule, and that might drastically uh, impact the vote. Although, by the time we're done with that segment, the voting window is going to be open for about two more minutes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but you may want to tune in if you want to get a little clearer impl- understanding of what it means to do away with divisions. For, but on its surface, if we don't, I, I, I'm good. I think I'm good. So with the, that topic in mind, we asked... If the Big Ten did away with football divisions, what three teams should be Ohio State's permanent games? And right now, 48% say Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. And closer than I thought, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin is a very close second. I think I would vote Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin. That's what I think. Because... Is the rivalry with Michigan State enough that we that you have to play them every year? I don't think so. No, and they've kicked us in the crotch enough in big moments. Right. I don't, let's let's spread exactly. out their opportunities. <laughs> so I, I don't have uh, – I, I would rather play somebody from the West Division or the, I guess, not West Division anymore. <laughs> but but I would rather play Wisconsin every year than Michigan State every year. Now, whether Wisconsin would rather play Ohio State every year is probably a different discussion. I, I, I for certain would rather play Wisconsin every year than Michigan State. And whatever we've got to do to keep Brett Bielema's face off my TV, I'm good with. So let's limit the Illinois access. That's fine. See, that was somebody had tweeted, um, Michigan, Penn State, and Illinois. I hate to put Illinois in there, but you can't ignore the Illabug trophy. A traveling trophy rivalry should not be ignored. I'm well, ready to ignore it. Right. It's not 1930. You can put Bielema's I, wife on my TV a lot more. I'll be okay with that. Just not him. I love the Illabug. I think it's a fantastic trophy, but... Uh, do I would it be great for Ohio State to play Illinois every year? Yeah, because you're going to win. I wish they called it a buck, the Buck and Eye Trophy, because then we could have a Buck and Ear Trophy and a Buck and Nose Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what could ever go wrong there? So the guy who just guy just said the Jew black blast. <laughs> Yeah, see now I need a commercial break. So that's Let's take that. one. We get another. We don't have another question. Nope, it's just those two. Just All right. those two. Well, vote before five forty-five, then we'll try to change your mind at about five thirty, so you can vote again and maybe maybe balance things back out. We've got a couple of visits ahead of us with Dre White of Upper Sauda Valley High School, head basketball coach there, and Trey Elkert, the head basketball coach at Wapakoneta. They'll both join us during the next segment on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Come back for those interviews after this on Lima Sports Radio ninety-three on the Fan. We are back inside the basement doctor studio. This is Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. I am John Cook. My partner's Garrett Seawright. And we are, I don't want to mess around. We are thrilled to be able to go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline and bring in a couple of high school basketball coaches during this segment. We're going to visit momentarily first with Upper Sauda Valley head basketball coach Dre White in his first season leading the Rams. And a little bit later in the segment, we're going to sit down and have a chat with Trey Elkert, the head basketball coach at Wapakoneta High School. Both teams having fantastic seasons and both coaches uh, with some interesting matchups last night. And I, I, I don't know, I just the, the look of this season is very different for a lot of people than what maybe we expected it might be, and last night's results were kind of like that. But we're going to go ahead and bring in Coach White on the AmeriFirst Home Wedge Hotline. I think I'm trying to. It's not happening here. There we go. Dre, I got you. Yep, I'm here. How you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you? Well, I'm good. I, I know you got to be feeling good off of last night, but before we get into last night, and we will momentarily, i got to ask a question because... In the interest of full disclosure, you and I have a previous relationship. We go back a ways. We've known each other a long time. Hell, I think I coached you at when you camp when you were a kid. But that's that's true of about seven coaches in the Lima area right now. So I, I want to ask this because I think there's some some merit to the idea. I mean, when when things went the way they went at Ada and you, you left a program that you had built up over a four-year period and had it on a really steady trajectory and you were away from the game as a high school coach for a year and then you have the opportunity to take the job that you did at Upper Sauda Valley, you're, you're coming in off of that dynamic for you, and you're replacing a, a, an outgoing coach that had had significant success, and you were facing the likelihood of some pretty significant and high expectations. Did you feel any kind of pressure under those circumstances? Uh, I mean, possibly a little bit. I mean, but I think that's what intrigued me about the job. Um, so basketball over here means a whole lot, and you know there, there's it's been a great tradition, and it's a program with a lot of pride. So, um, you know that part of being at Upper Upper Side of Valley just really excited me. Um, so you know I, I was fortunate to uh, you know you know get over here. Yeah, I mean had a year off from um, over at Ada. In um, that year, I spent some time over with um, Coach Williams over at. University of Northwestern Ohio and you know that was an awesome experience for me coach Williams works his butt off I learned so much and you know the, the college game was awesome but there's something about it that you know I really want I knew I wanted to get back to the high school level um, you know and I don't know what that was just you know that small school basketball having the community feel and you know that Friday night feeling and um, you know I don't think too many schools value that that feeling and that Friday night uh, more than uh, we do here at USB. So, um, like I said, uh, that part was just really exciting for me. Well, you are, by my estimation, one of the most meticulous and detail-oriented young coaches that I have, have ever been around. And because of that, it doesn't surprise me that you would have had a pretty good understanding of the community and, and done your homework. What has been maybe pleasantly surprising or what has been maybe more challenging than you thought it might be in, in getting your feet on the ground and establishing the program and hitting the ground running the way you guys have? Well, I mean, honestly, the what's made it 
very um what's made it easier on me is we have great kids over here uh you know we and i've I've gotten asked a few times you know you know what's working well we have a we have an awesome group of upperclassmen we have five seniors we have seven lettermen um but those five seniors i I just can't speak enough about who they are um and what you know sports and means to them and how hard they work um, and they make my job really simple. Uh, they really do. I mean, uh, those are the same guys. When we do scouting report and film, they're in the first row. And, I mean, they know that stuff from top to bottom. Sometimes I feel like they know it <laughs> more than I do. Uh, so in that regard, it, it's, it's been, um, you know, very pleasant and, and, and simple um, because those guys, like I said, the leadership, and it's not just those guys, but they, they also, you know, we, we got a freshman point guard. Um, and for some coaches, having a freshman point guard, especially with a tough schedule like we do, that, that can, you know, um, give some, uh, some coaches fits. But, you know, those guys, what, what's made him really successful this year at that point guard spot, you know, I, I attribute that a lot to our, our upper class and that leadership because they've taken him under his wing, they've accepted him, and they, they make that, that job really easy. So, um, just been really, really fortunate to have you know those, those groups of kids that I have this year. Dre White, USV head coach, joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. And Dre, you got a, a big win over Shawnee last night. And we all know what Shawnee's been the last couple of seasons. But what what does that 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 thirteen point win for you mean as a as a program? Mean for your your sectional tournament resume? How big of a win was that for you guys last night? Well, it's huge. Uh, exactly for those things that you said, you know, uh, tournament draw, hard to believe, is right around the corner. Um, that's that's huge for us, that one that we can put on that resume. But, you know, more so, you know, looking at right now, uh, you know, the nice thing about basketball is a lot of times you don't have to wait an awful long time for a chance to bounce back. And, you know, we had an opportunity to do that. We went over to St. Mary's on Saturday and let one slip away um, late. And, you know, I thought we played really well Saturday. We just didn't make enough plays down the stretch to say that we deserved to win that game. You know, we went 5-26, of 26, I believe, from 3. And uh, so it was huge for us to regroup after letting one slip Saturday. You know, as you said, uh, you know, with what Shawnee's done in the past, you know, few years and beyond and the players that they've had, um, you know, the past few years, you know, for our kids to come back and get that one, you know, it, it meant a lot. Um, and, you know, I was just wanted to make sure our guys were, were ready to go. You know, we, uh, they, this is a group, a group that, they don't like to lose, you know, we're going back to the football season, um, only a couple losses there and we got off to a 12 and 0 start. So some of that has been kind of unfamiliar for them. So just want to make sure that we were ready to go. You know, it's another one of those games, a Tuesday game. Um, someone like me, I, I don't enjoy when the kids get out of routine. We haven't had many weekday games. So that was a little bit of a concern, um, but just really happy for our guys and the way they played. Dre, you are, as I said, a detail-oriented guy, and you mentioned that getting off to the 12-0 and start, you dropped one at St. Mary's before you bounced back and got that win to get to 13-1 and last night over Shawnee. Is there any chance that no one in the Upper Side of Valley District has explained to you what happened the last time St. Mary's handed the Rams their first loss of the season? Uh, I have not been informed of that. Just so you know, in 1994, St. Mary's beat the Rams in about the 12th game of the season, and they didn't <laughs> lose again. So I, I don't, I don't know that you need extra pressure. Just know that your that your fan base is very aware, whether they've chosen to tell you or not, that the last time well, St. I, Mary's I handed the I last time St. Mary's handed them that first loss, they didn't lose again. Well, I, I wouldn't be. If that held true this year as well, I'd, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I'm not meaning to put any extra pressure on you. got Coldwater on Saturday. Just a quick uh, 
summary of what you think it's going to take to compete with cold water and how you feel about things going forward. Yeah, um, you know, that that's another one where I might not tell the guys the record of, that, that they have going in that game because, you know, I, I'm aware and I know better that Coldwater is a much better team than what that record may, may show. Um, they play another tough schedule, and, you know, as always, they get off to a late start with football, um, and then, you know, they don't have a lot of time to get things going, and then they're, you're jamming a lot of games in, a lot of tough games into a short amount of time. But, um, you know, their, their most recent games, they played really well. Um, they had Versailles, who's sitting at number one, um, Last week played them really, really strong. They've had Col- or I'm sorry, they've had Shawnee on their schedule, who they played tough. So they're they're playing a lot better. Um, that Versailles game was an eye opener as we sat down and watched that. You know that was that went back and forth for the better of uh, three and a half quarters. So it's one that we got to be ready for. Um, you know, uh, a road game on Saturday, um, going all the way to cold water is not easy, but. Um, it's one that we like to have on our schedule as well. Um, you know, as we look ahead to the tournament time and things like that, we get that trip underneath our belt. So we'll have to go out, um, go over there and, you know, execute, take care of business. And we know Colwar's going to be physical, ready to go. And we got to be ready to match that. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Look forward to talking to you down the road and uh, wish you the best of luck with the schedule that's ahead of you. Anytime. Thanks for having me, fellas. Dre White of Upper Side of Valley High School joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. We will transition from Coach White at Upper Side of Valley to Coach Trey Elkert of Wapakoneta High School joining us now on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Trey, you guys are playing pretty good basketball. I don't know what your feeling was coming out of the first few games of the season. There was some real inconsistency with your guys, but it feels like you've kind of found your sea legs, so to speak. You've kind of gotten an identity that's really clearly established. How do you feel about your overall the overall trajectory of your team right now? Yeah, as you uh, mentioned, uh, we seem to be trending in the right direction right now, which is what you want to be doing, you know, come January, February. But yeah, we got off to you know a three and zero start, but then hit a little bit of uh, you know low on our schedule. Um, you know, dropped to five and five, and uh, we were at five and five and five, looking at a really tough weekend, um, going playing Lima Shawnee um, in Jackson Center, and you know you're looking at that like we we got to find a way to get one here, um, you know, make sure that record stays five hundred or above. Um, and, you know, we were, we were able to get both that weekend, and since then we've been able to uh, kind of get things uh, rolling here for a few games and uh, win five in a row, so that's that's always a nice feeling. Trey, we haven't talked to you since you, you had that game against Jackson Center. Uh, how, how how was that? Hopefully it was a fun experience, and, and how did how'd your mom handle all that? Oh, it was good. Yeah, it was a fun experience. Uh, it was a good experience for Dad and I. Uh, I think it was something we were both looking forward to, and, you know, we're obviously both going to compete and all that, but I think after the game, you know, you can kind of push some of that stuff aside and feel good for the other one. And, you know, I think as a coach, you your your immediate thoughts always go to what the other side's feeling sometimes. Um, you know, I think that's just kind of a natural reaction, especially, you know, with the relationship my dad and I have. So, no, it was all good. It was a good experience. And uh, I'm sure mom was on her edge of the seat. And, you know, she she would never say she was claiming a side, I'm sure. Um, you know, but 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 it was good for both of us. Well, you mentioned being at five and five, and when you talk about winning five straight again, Shawnee Jackson Center, I mean, Kenton has struggled a little bit, but they were off. They had gotten off to a two and zero start in league play, and then you get St. Henry and LCC, uh, and th- those are road games. I mean, four of those five away from home, you get five wins in a row, and, and you're you're really into the home stretch of the regular season. That the tournament draws right around the corner, but you've also got. Some some big matchups ahead of you. You've got Elida ahead of you. Bath coming off of a huge win over Perry and playing really well. You've got Kaleida 
down the road before you get to, you know, in league play, you've still got and Marion Locals ahead of you also late in the season. I, guess. I mean, it's just, it never gets easy in the spot that you're in. What do you attribute your consistency to now, maybe that was lacking when you were struggling earlier in the year? Yeah, I think it's really two things as I've looked at it, um, you know, as you try to evaluate, you know, what's going well. Number one, we've been able to grind games out on the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, that's obviously what we pride ourselves on night in and night out. But I feel like guys have really, really bought into that the last couple weeks. You know, if you look at just our last two games, for example, I mean, we gave up a 10-point second half against St. Henry and a 12-point second half last night against LCC. So when you're holding teams to, you know, 10, 12 points and a half, you're obviously going to give yourself, you know, a chance to be successful. And uh, our guys are really buying into that right now and, um, you know, grinding games out on the defensive end of the floor. And then the second part of that is, quite frankly, basketball is sometimes a simple game and it comes down to knocking down shots. Um, you know, I know you guys know sometimes as coaches we want to overanalyze things and pick every little thing apart, especially when things aren't going well. So, you know, we have that stretch where, you know, we lose five of seven. And, uh, you know, really to a degree, we were doing a lot of good. We just could not hit shots. And, um, you know, fortunately now in these last five games, it's not like we've set the world on fire, but we've started to hit, you know, just enough, um, you know, where our offense has kind of found a little bit of another gear. And uh, as I mentioned, our, our kids have just continued to buy in then on the defensive end of the floor. Wapak head coach Trey Elker joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Like Trey said, Redskins won five in a row. And Trey, with the the log jam that is that that D2 ONU district where there are four teams, and really five teams, all with damn near the same record, uh, any night could be the decider between, you know, being the one seed or the five seed, being the two seed or the, the six seed. How important is that? And, and how much do you guys look at that as you get closer and closer to the sectional draw? Yeah, I mean, I think every coach, you know, it starts this time of year, you start to kind of forecast the tournament what it might be. But as you mentioned, I, I tell you what, that district draw is going to be no joke. Um, you know, I, there's five teams in WBL with all pretty comparable records, and you throw in Napoleon and Wasion in there. And, um, and then you look at those other teams right now that you say, well, they might be sitting a little bit lower. You know, there are WBL teams that you'd be going against the second time that have kids that compete their butts off as well. So, you know, that district draw is going to be really interesting. You know, I think every year, you know, a coach is always forecasting, you know, what what's my right matchup? How can I get to this point in the bracket? And uh, I, I think that will be the case more than ever this year that, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, you know, I right now I have no idea how it's going to play out. But, you know, the, the two and the three seed might jump up in the same bracket as the one seed if they think that's their better mm-hmm. matchup. Because, as you mentioned, I think on any given night, there's a number of teams in that district that feel they have a chance to make a, make a run. Trey, you've got Elida coming up on Friday. Elida is just 3-12 and 12 on the year. They've lost seven in a row. They're trying to establish a new program under uh, Coach Tabler over there. As you've got a team playing pretty well and on a roll and facing a team that's not in that same spot, what's your concern? What about Elida maybe could cause you guys some problems? How do you size up that matchup? Yeah, I mean, I, I the concern doesn't Re, re, you know, center around, you know, maybe the wins, losses, the concern. I would say centers around that Eli is a lot better bas- or a lot better team than what their record might show. They're a young group, but they're a skilled group. And, uh, you know, I, I know Matt knows that going in this year that he was going to have some young kids 
I tell you what, those kids play their butts off. They gave Defiance a heck of a game last Friday. And um, those young kids are skilled. So, you know, I'm guessing Matt might tell you that he's dealt with a little bit of inconsistency at times this year, um, just with playing so many young kids and kids that are new to the varsity level. But when they're they're playing well and they piece it together, they're a really quality basketball team. And, uh, you know, on any given night, if they start to piece that together for three or four quarters, they can beat probably just about anybody on their schedule. What do you have as your priorities and your focus for your team going into that game? Um, you know, much as it's uh, been our last, you know, couple weeks, is that we have to continue to be willing to grind games out on the defensive end of the floor, and uh, our our kids are buying into that right now. Um, you know, I think we've done a really good job in a few areas, and that's sitting down in the half court and defending. Our rebounding margin right now is really good, and we have a definitely a positive turnover margin compared to our opponents. So when we can continue winning the battle, the boards the battle of the turnovers and you know you earn yourself seven eight nine extra possessions compared to your opponents or seven eight nine extra shot attempts compared to your opponents when you're doing those things that obviously gives you uh you know a really good opportunity especially when your kids uh want to compete on the defensive end of the floor well trey we appreciate you taking the time to join us and i wish you the best of luck on friday and in the season that you've got left ahead of you we'll be talking to you down the road buddy yeah thanks guys appreciate it as always Wapakoneta head coach Trey Elkert joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. That takes us up to our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we'll squeeze in a little talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. What are you going to say about that one, huh? Stick around for that after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. I'm John Cook. My partner's Garrett Seawright. We're Cookie and the Monster on 93.1 The Fan. Somehow we're at the bottom of the hour or at the end of the first hour already as we approach the top of the hour. Let's have a little Baseball Hall of Fame chat in the couple of minutes that we've got left here. Garrett, simply put, the low-hanging fruit is the baseball writers who put people in the Hall of Fame say that we're going to go ahead and put in Big Poppy at 78% of the vote nearly. Yep. But these other guys that were roid freaks, that they can't go in. But he used roids and admitted it. Correct. Okay. You can't put Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in because they're cheaters. David Ortiz cheated less. Well, okay. What was that that word that you said? Oh, you said he cheated? Cool. Do you remember him as a twin? And I wanted the guy in. I said I would put him in, but I, I liked his speech. I was very honest. I'm not objective oh. in any way. <laughs> but from twin to Red Sox, there is a sizable difference <laughs> in the man's yep. performance. And he's in, and he's the only guy off that list of names that we read to you yesterday and voted on, and we chose 10 guys apiece, and it's not looking great. Manny Ramirez is in his sixth attempt, and he got 29% of the vote. He can't feel like he's going to get in. No, I, that, that's, I mean, that's a given, right? Yeah, I would think he's so. He's got four more attempts, and he's got to get 50% more on his vote? At the same time, I think if you're trying, like if the baseball, baseball writers are trying to punish Manny Ramirez, and I, I, I would firmly believe that he's, um, in my view, he's firmly a Hall of Famer. But if there's one person that you're trying to punish by making them wait it out, the it's going to be missed on Manny Ramirez because okay. I promise you that he's like, ah, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I didn't get in. Oh my god! Somebody gosh. sign me. I'll hit ten more homers next year. Twenty <laughs> after that, I'll, I'll get in. Right. Like, yeah. I just I think he he would be the one person that if you're like, I'm gonna make him wait, he's gonna be like, okay, I like waiting. I don't I don't think he cares. Some people that are off the ballot now will not appear on the ballot after their first time on the ballot or second time on the ballot. Tim Hudson is no longer going to be on the ballot. Carl Crawford no longer on the ballot. Prince Fielder no longer on the ballot. Ryan Howard, I am I am miffed that Ryan Howard will no longer be on the ballot. You've got 2% of the vote. you got to get 5% to remain on the vote. Tim Linscombe is out. Justin Morneau is out. Joe Nathan is out. 
Jonathan Papelbon is out. Jake Peavy is out. AJ Perzinski is out. And Mark Teixeira is out. How about A-Rod and his 34%? What does that say to you? That says to me that he'll get in in his fifth or sixth season. That, that a message was sent. That you're... I don't think he's going to be in the Bonds and Clemens camp that he doesn't get in, but I think he gets in, but they're going to make him wait. I, I, man, I, it's going to be really, really big to see where he is in about... If he's not above 50% by about year three or four... Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're he's right. in deep trouble. and I, I don't, Again, I think he belongs in, but I think the other ones do too. I mean, I'm obviously in the minority. If I were a writer, I certainly would be in the minority on that. What are your thoughts on the possibility of... It, it, can, can the Baseball Hall of Fame say, hey, we're changing the process? I think they for got getting to. People? I mean, what, what choice do they have? This is a joke, honestly. Because when you look at the, the, the way these things are playing out, how these people are making decisions, it's personal. Yes. And it is what I said yesterday. It's a bunch of baseball writer nerds who are mad at guys that they propped up while they were doing this, and they're saying, "Oh, you had your fun while you were on roids, and nobody could really, t- you know, turn you in." Well, now you got caught, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have control over you for a while while you were being a jerk to me when you were hitting all those home runs and driving in all those. I, I, I just, they've got to make a change. They've got to make a change. I, you got to put guys in the Hall of Fame, and if Todd Helton's getting 52 percent of the vote. If Andrew Jones getting 41% of the vote, you're never going to get there. And and they're not going to put anybody in. Well, before they stop putting people in, I hope they get Davey Concepcion in there some way. That's all I've said. John Cook and Garrett Searight will be back after this. Don Jing is Jeweler Timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Hour number two here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Cookie and the Monster with you until 6 o'clock. Top of the hour, so let's recap some and reset the vote on our Twitter poll questions. We've got two questions up at 93 on the fan on Twitter. We're asking, should the Big Ten do away with football divisions? 67%, actually 65%, 65, just changed 65%, say yes. And we're also asking, if the Big Ten did away with football divisions, which three teams should be Ohio State's permanent games? And right now, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State leader in the clubhouse at 49%. Yeah, well, that's probably not going to change much, I wouldn't think. No, probably not. Probably wouldn't think so. So it's it's time for our weekly visit with Bob McGillick at the Radio Voice of the Blue Jackets. So say it slowly with me, Garrett. It's time for the Blue Blue Jackets, Jackets Blast. Blast. So we will go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline and bring in friend of the program, one Bob McGilligot, to join us and talk all things Blue Jackets. Robert, I'm going to probably have to turn most of the interview over to Garrett because I have had, like, elocution safari going on today, and I have misspoken on a number of occasions. We have offended <laughs> a couple of multiple which that... <laughs> minority groups with John's pronunciation of Blue Jackets Blast today. I got, got, a, got, got a little sideways. I'm glad you missed that. But uh, so, so if, if I don't... I do every day. <laughs> Speak like that, John. It's fine. Well, you're, you're, you're pronouncing, you know, Northern European last names that like, well, that's three consonants together. I don't even know how the hell to pronounce that. I, I, I came across as anti-Semitic and racist all in one comment before, as I was trying to say Blue Jackets Blast earlier. So I'm a little bit apprehensive about continuing these types of interviews, but I'll give it a be- my best shot. Don't be afraid. Put your head down. Go through it. Come on. Bear down. Let's go. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I think we're all right. We're all right. Garrett's the one that every once in a while I get a text in the evening when he's watching the Blue Jackets to kind of fill me in on how things are going, and those have happened less frequently as the year has worn on. I suppose that's probably a good indication of how things are going without ever reading anything. 
There are more obscenities. It's a good indication that Garrett's a front runner. That's what it oh, is. Oh no, no, no! I'm watching. There's just more obscenities <laughs> in the text messages than there used to be. It used to be like, wow. Oh well, it, yeah. Believe me, if these weren't FCC broadcasts, <laughs> boys. So, so Bob, we're on a crusade here on Cooking the Monster. The, the FCC should allow us 15 uh, bleep words a week. Uh, could we get Could we get you to sign off on our petition as well? <clears throat> sure, absolutely. Right. Okay, because you know what, the bleep words now. People wouldn't even blink. No, no, you're right. It would just be like, oh, yeah, okay. Remember when you used to hear a word that would be like, I mean, and it's a nothing word now. You'd hear it on the air and you'd be like, oh, oh my goodness. Somebody's going to be in trouble. Right, somebody got fired right now. Yeah, exactly. I, I said one of those about eight weeks ago, yeah. and I had an assistant basketball coach from one of the teams we were broadcasting that night walk over and say, hey, dirty mouth. <laughs> I said, were you listening? <laughs> yep. He said, yeah, he caught that. So. Hey, every time that I hey, get the bad a ch- news is you said something wrong. The good news is somebody was listening. That's so right. there you go. Take it for what it's worth. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to take the good with the bad and count at least one win in there somewhere. So we do that. It feels like every time we get to have you on the air, I look up and I get to say, hey, in the last 10, the Blue Jackets are three and seven. I know. I wish you'd get off the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but or pick another number. Pick like four, three. I don't know. <laughs> Not that that's going to help right now, but. Yeah, yeah, it's just been, uh, it's kind of been that way. And, you know, and unfortunately, the last two were two pretty well-played games. The one against Pittsburgh was well-played, and it was a 2-2 game going into the third. And then, uh, you know, everything, it was Murphy's Law. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong against the Blue Jackets, and they lost that one 5-2. to And Sidney Crosby came out of there with a hat trick and, you know, to me, still proved that he's one of the best, if not the best player in the game to this point. I think he's the best because he's a two-way player, and he uh, – you know, he can do anything that's asked of him. But uh, then the Sunday game against Ottawa was disappointing because there were some really good opportunities and some really good chances, but they just couldn't score in that game. And, and part of the reason was the goaltender for Ottawa, who was Anton Forsberg, who, oh, by the way, came up in the Blue Jackets system and played a little bit here in Columbus. And he was the goaltender that was behind the Culver Cup championship in Cleveland a number of years ago. So, you know, he had something to play for, too. He's trying to stick it to his old organization, and he played really well. So, um, yeah, I mean... The numbers are true, but, uh, you know, there have been some good games in there that they just haven't, uh, you know, they didn't score enough on Sunday. They uh, they put themselves in the penalty box against a really good team on Friday, and that was the difference in both games. In the middle of a four-game homestand here, you got Calgary at home tonight. I, I mean, handicap it for us in terms of how the Blue Jackets have been playing. What What's the critical thing that has to be different tonight for them to change how, how the results have been of late? I thought you were saying handicap it like the way they've been playing lately. It's a handicap just come out there tonight. I'm not sure trying to offend those people either. Well, it's yeah, <laughs> be a rough day. Now, I mean, this is another team that um, you know they're really good. They're very offensively talented. They're quick. Um, they're a team that I think a lot of people they took some people by surprise early on this season. Uh, not so much of a surprise anymore. Uh, this is a team. Uh, this is a thing that kind of makes me chuckle with this team. Uh, you know, we always talk about those old school coaches and how the old school's way, the old school ways don't work anymore. And you see all these young coaches. Well, in Calgary, they were in that situation a couple of years ago, and then um, Bill Peters got fired for off ice issues that he was involved in. Jeff Ward was the uh, he was the interim head coach. He got named the head coach, and then uh, last year they started off so badly that they got rid of him and they brought back Daryl Sutter. And that is about as old school coach as you can get with Daryl Sutter. And I think a lot of people around the league, including me, was like, oh, how's this going to work again? He's already been there. That's This doesn't look like a fit. But it has been, quite honestly. They've played for him. So 
um, you know, they've reacted to him, and, and they're playing well, and they, uh, they're a confident team coming into this game tonight for sure. Bob, when you when you look at the back-to-back situation the Blue Jackets are in tonight and tomorrow, it's become increasingly um, it's becoming more rare throughout the schedule. How is there a way to kind of ramp up for a back-to-back, especially a midweek back-to-back? No, not really. I mean, first of all, I think when you you know when you're struggling and when you've lost a couple of games, like I said, if you, you feel that you played the last two fairly well, but you lost. So that should be enough ramp up to get you going for a game like this tonight. And, you know, then tomorrow, you don't have to ramp up tomorrow. It's the New York Rangers. And I don't care who's wearing a Blue Jackets uh, uniform. I think the Rangers are still one of those teams that you just get excited about playing. So uh, it's, it's just, uh, guys are used to it, I think, by now, to be honest with you. I mean, back-to-backs are part of it. We we talk about it a lot, but I think there, uh, I think there have been less. I don't know. I haven't counted it up, but... You know, to this point, there haven't doesn't seem like there's been as many as uh, we've had in the past on a regular basis. So, um, you know, you just deal with it. I think they're happy to get out there and play right now. They want to, you know, you can work in practice, but you got to do it in the game. So they get a chance to go on the ice two nights in a row here. You're at Montreal and home for Florida at the end of the week, beginning of next week, and then there's a a, a week break in there. What what are your thoughts on, on on getting some time off where this team is right now? Is there a downside to it over an upside? Is it better for them, worse for them? How do you see it? Well, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, it's it's the All Star break, and it's you know here's a the schedule course had a three week hole mm-hmm. in it uh, because of the Olympics at the start of the season. Then they decided not to go to the Olympics, and now it's got just that one week. So I think I think it's a good thing. From this standpoint, they're going to look at it, especially the veteran guys, and they're going to make sure the younger guys look at it like this, too. They're going to say, boys, this is the last extended break you're going to get from now until the end of April. So step back, take a breath, figure out what you've done right, what you've done wrong personally, and you better come back ready to play. Because when you get back off of this break, to be honest with you, John, it is, uh, it's really no longer a marathon. It's a sprint. So, you know, what can you do in that sprint? What team are you going to be? Are you going to be the team that started 12 and 6 in its first 18 games? Are you going to be the team that is 3 and 7 in its last 10? What what are you going to be? You and you know, and for some guys on this team, whether it be the trade deadline coming or whether it be um, you know, what your role is going to be in the future, that last stretch, that's where the evaluations are going to be made. That's where they're going to decide uh, how this team is going to look and who's going to be a part of how it looks. So, um, you know, that should be, you know, you were just talking about incentive a second ago here. That should be incentive enough. So I think the break's good. Uh, to me, it doesn't even have to do with whether you're winning or losing right now. Of course, if we they had won eight in a row, I'd say, no, who wants a break? But they haven't done that. But I think it's a good time just to step back and reflect and catch your breath. And that's the last breath you're getting. So it better be a deep one because you're going to be exhaling until the end of April. Bob, hard right turn. Should, should Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens be in the Hall of Fame? I, you know what? I'm uh, technically, I guess not, because they quote unquote cheated. But then again, everybody was doing it, right? Yep. So it's not like uh, Roger Clemens was doing it and nobody else was, so he shouldn't be in there. Like they were all competing. I, you know, everybody knew the other guy was doing it. Everybody knew if they wanted to keep up with the Joneses, they had to do it. It was that era of baseball. Um, 
again, it's it's funny. It's funny when it was the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run race that brought baseball back. Yeah. After the strike in '94, I mean that that essentially killed the game, and that brought it back. And even at the time, I remember at the time, everybody knew they were juiced, right? We joke about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, the problem I have with it, I guess, and I'm going to make people mad with this, but this is just the way it goes. I think there are curmudgeon writers out there that have votes, and they are just not going to let it happen. They didn't let it happen, obviously. But their, their terms have expired now. And they are just hell-bent on those guys not getting in there, and they don't want to... They don't want to, you know, look at it. They look at it a certain way. They did something illegal they shouldn't be in. And it's black and white, cut and dry, and I don't don't necessarily agree with that. What would be your thoughts if they had a wing of the Hall of Fame where they just threw the steroid folks in there and the and the, the like the Sosa McGuire thing is a is a piece of the Hall of Fame, but those guys get plaques and don't get busts. No, I'm I'm not for that. I mean just look, they saved the game. Yeah. They, what do they get for saving the game? They get the fingers. Ostracized. You know? Well, and, and Garrett has said this. The, the writers were complicit in it. Don't tell me they didn't know. Yeah, they knew. Absolutely, they, they knew. knew. Bunch of old hacks. They knew the whole time. <laughs> and now all of a sudden they've got power. They've got a vote. They've got a, you know, I mean, it's like a Supreme Court justice, this vote that they get for the Hall of Fame. And they're going to let everybody know how righteous they are. And they're they're not going to let it happen. Not all of them, but some of the guys, you know, right? You know unless who they, are, unless the they just, like, yeah. I mean, and, you know what? You're a writer. Shut your mouth and just make the vote. And come on, here. You don't need to be a superstar about it. You don't have to tell me how how much better than me you are because you voted that they should never get into the Hall of Fame. I don't care. Or at least explain how you voted David Ortiz in when you're an when admitted you're, cheater, an admitted steroid user when you're holding other guys out because maybe he was just nicer to you and was more enjoyable to work with as a media person. No, come on, really? <laughs> well, I guess what? You know, in well, I mean, I guess it could go for Bonds too, but there, there's so much stuff that factors in now. Like, oh, if you leave David Ortiz out, all of a sudden, are you being biased against somebody? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's too much of a slippery slope in the whole thing. It is, they did it. They were all doing it. They were all competing on the same level, quite frankly. Because I know guys, I know, I won't, I won't give you his name, but. When I was in AAA, there was a guy that was playing there, and he was in the Blue Jays system, and he was skinny as a rail. And he got called up to the big leagues, and he played there a little bit. The next year, he was huge upper body, and he spent a little bit of time in the big leagues, and he made a little bit of money. Was that natural? I don't believe so. <laughs> but, it, again, like I said, it was keeping up with the Joneses. You know what I mean? Yep. So they were, all, they were all doing it to some extent, but – you know, you have to have these holier-than-now writers. Who, and you're right about that. Well, this guy was nice to me, and this guy wasn't nice to me. I don't care. Could he play the game? You're supposed to go into the Hall of Fame based on your ability to play the game, not by whether you were a nice guy and give an interview or if you told a writer to get the hell out of the room, you know? Right. Uh, and I say that, and I call them hypocrites. And admittedly, I said on these airwaves yesterday, I'm voting David Ortiz in because I liked his speech after the bombing at the marathon. And for that speech alone, I'm ready to put him in. So I, I okay. guess I, right, I, I was a little tongue-in-cheek. There's a great but, example, though. So you, you would put him in because of that, and McGuire and Sosa saved the game itself. So what's the difference? I, 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 for the record, I had Sammy Sosa on my ballot. Yeah, yes, that, okay. that, that was definitely not officially counted by the Baseball Hall of Fame writers. Even, but, with, even with the loaded bat? Uh, yeah, see, um, I, 
I was eight years old in the summer of '98, and we got we got ba- when I say basic ass cable, I mean basic ass cable. So I could yeah. watch the Braves or the Cubs, and you know what? The Cubs were on in the afternoon, and I had a nine o'clock bedtime, so I watched a lot of Sammy Sosa, and he was awesome. He, he was, was my the, guy. He was the man. So you better believe he's on the Hall of Fame, my Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, exactly. And Barry Bonds was not like that. No, Barry Bonds <laughs> was a jerk. Roger Clemens was a jerk. David right? Ortiz was nice, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Is Kurt, Schill- is Kurt Schilling a jerk, or yeah. was he too political? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I would say the answer to that is yes. <laughs> yeah. The answer to that is whichever side you choose, you're probably right. Yeah, Bob, it's hard to believe that the next time we talk to you is going to be February, man. <laughs> I hate to talk about yeah. how fast the year's going. We're not even out of January yet, but man, time is flying by. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Good luck tonight and tomorrow night, and we will talk to you next week, man. Thank you, boys. And guess what? I didn't really know if I had an opinion on the Hall of Fame stuff, so thanks for <laughs> now you do. letting me know that I did. <laughs> <laughs> we are a multi-service in- in- entity here at Lima Sports hey, Radio way, 93.1 The Fan. Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, yeah, that shouldn't change. That's good. I thought Wisconsin maybe instead of Michigan State. Like Michigan, yeah. Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State sounds like a good three to permanently have. I guess you could make that as long as Penn State's in it, and Michigan's in it. To be honest with you, I don't yeah, care. I, I think you're right there. Yeah, I got. I'm with you there, Bob. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. Thanks, fellas. Bob McGill, get join us on the Mayor First Home Mortgage Hotline. Time for another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We're going to step aside, come back for some football at five fifteen. John Cook and Garrett Seawright on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor Studio, and it's time for Football 515. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to Football 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why at Service Master, they don't cut corners, they clean them. ESPN.com has made a definitive ranking of the top, well, I guess not the top 32, one through 32, the rookie draft classes for each NFL team over the course of the past season. And I am I'm I'm almost flabbergasted by this, John, that the Cleveland Browns were ranked as the fifth best rookie class because of Greg Newsom the second and Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. They got some work from James Hudson late in the season. Demetric Felton was a good punt returner. But the Cincinnati Bengals ranked twenty third you bumped on that a little bit too, huh? <laughs> I, I, like they're in the AFC Championship game this weekend, and you could argue a large portion of the reason they're there is because of their rookie class, and they are twenty third out of thirty two. A stunned is not a strong enough word. Yeah, I, well, stunned and like perplexed because I. I, I, these people do this for a living. Watch sports and write about it and evaluate things. And look, I, I like JOK as much as the next guy. With my struggles today, I'm not going to try to say his full name. I, I normally am pretty good at that one. He's the guy I really liked coming out of the draft. Yeah. And, that, and one of the, one of the it, things they it, talked about was that was a guy that had first round talent and they got him in the second half of the second round. That's an impressive pick. And maybe it's nuanced to the point where you could be football snobbish and talk about guys that belong on that list and that increase the quality of the rookie class because of things I don't understand about their contributions to the team. But I'm here to tell you, Jamar Chase by himself should put you outside the top, I mean above the top 20 I would think by himself. That, that guy's he's undoubtedly going to be the rookie of the year. No question. 
And you have them 23rd now. Does Jackson Carmen suck? Yeah. Joseph Osai not worth a darn? Yeah. Evan McPherson kicked them to to the AFC Championship game. Yeah, I, I read on the same page, the same page that did this ranking, an article that was titled, Here's Why You Draft a Kicker. <laughs> the guy was fairly significantly important to his team, and I'm not just talking about that game. Right. You Obviously, made- they made the playoffs. They won the division. Go back and look at their scores. He was a factor. And again, I just... 28 of 33 on the season of field goals. That's impressive. That's good. 23rd. My, my math's not very good, but that means there were only nine teams in the league that rookies were worse. And some of them, you know, are like, hey, they had they only had five picks or whatever. The two Cincinnati Bengals should put them in the top 15 at minimum. You have the rookie of the year. The whole, like, the best rookie in the season is on your team, and they have the 23rd best rookie class. How in the hell does that compute? It doesn't for me. And I, again, admittedly am a simple-minded guy. But there are some things that just say them out loud for me. <laughs> and and that rookie class, those two guys by themselves, and, and you got them 23rd. So if we went down the list, I, I guess I would have to look at the other teams that ranked ahead of them, all 22 of them, and determine... Which any of them had a singular rookie that was even remotely close to being rookie of the year or in discussion, so, and then could add a second or a third guy who had a significant contribution to their overall success. The Washington football team is one spot ahead of the, of the Cincinnati Bengals at 22. I do not know. Do they identify I've, the guys that, made, that, that yes. put them at that spot? Who are they? Jamin Davis. Okay, don't know anything about what Jamin Davis did this year. I'm, I, I'm again, like, football snobs could fix me and set me straight, but I don't know who he is. Benjamin St. Juiced. I know that name. Sam Cosme. Nope, not a clue. I have no idea who these dudes are. <laughs> you know who I have heard of? Jamar freaking Chase. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's that. Some, somewhere out there is a hard, hardcore Washington football team fan who is going to go on Twitter and just make fun of you and me later. That's fine because we don't know. And, and I bring, I love it, I like it. There's a couple guys out there that I don't follow on Twitter, but I, it's been pointed out to me that like they like to target me, and I it's enjoyable, kind of fun. But I'm serious. I mean, I don't think are, are we out thinking the room to I, to name the guys that you just did and say what they did collectively as rookies places their value above what Jamar Chase and the kicker for the Bengals did this well, year? Well, so like the Jets are two spots above. Elijah Vera Tucker is an offensive lineman, had a fantastic season. He might end up in the, in the Hall of Fame. Elijah Moore is a wide receiver, great. Michael Carter, a running back, really good. They're not Jamar Chase. No. And they went three and whatever. The Bengals had a rejuvenation almost exclusively because of their young players, including their rookie class, and you have them at 23rd? I, bananas to me. Bizarre, puzzling, and I, I guess the only thing that we might be able to hope for on that is maybe they recast the votes if the Bengals make the Super Bowl. <laughs> Jamar Chase has 13 <laughs> re, re, catches. Re-rank their squad. <laughs> it's bonkers to me. A little bit. A little bit. We're not done talking football by a long shot because we understand that the Big Ten might possibly do away with divisions and it's created a Twitter poll question for us and it's going to create conversation during our next segment. After this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, we'll chat Big Ten football and doing away with divisions. If you want to be a part of that conversation, 419-227-9393 or one 894 3776 That's 888-894-ESPN. Right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on The Fan. Welcome back inside the Basement Doctor Studio. John Cook and Garrett C. right with you here on 
Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We're presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply online at work at mcd.com, or you can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. So, Garrett, college football in the headlines. Yes, sir. After the season. Uh, Big Ten football in the headlines. Suffice it to say that if we're talking about doing away with divisions when we've already had leaders and legends for what we have that for an hour and a half, and then we've been east and west, and Ohio State's been, I would say, relatively successful you <laughs> could argue. in the east during the time that that division has existed. It's going away for really two reasons. Because the historic alliance exists now, and the oh. college football playoff might expand. The historic alliance. We can't we can't go a segment and talk Big Ten football and not talk about the historic alliance. Well, it's instrumental in the future of Big Ten football. So if they go down to eight conference games and they go on this, the, the, what they're I mean, you're essentially creating some room to get Pac-12 or ACC teams on your schedule. Essentially, that they're going to cut one conference game. This is the proposal. Apparently, is get rid of divisions, go to eight conference games. You'll have three permanent games on your schedule that. For instance, we have talked about Ohio State having Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State as their three permanent teams, and then they would rotate, but then they would get an extra game against someone from the ACC or Pac-12, which doesn't sound half bad to me. No, I, I think from a from an interest standpoint, from a ratings generating standpoint, from a financial standpoint for the league as a whole, and, and by extension, I guess, for all of the individual schools and teams... I think there's a, a ton of merit to that. Yeah. I'm surprised when I read, because anytime you start hearing about change in college football and this schedule and that schedule, it feels like, you know, if it's 2022, well, we're going to be talking about 2026. You know, this is for 2023, maybe. I mean, it sounds like they're, they, yeah, they, they want to make this change right now. You know, we, we've got a Twitter poll question up that, that asks you, you know, who would you prefer to see? be Ohio State's three locked-in opponents. I don't know what the terminology is that they're using, but uh, you will have three opponents that you play every year regardless, and the other, uh, others are on a either, what, two-on, two two-off kind of rotation or Pretty much, yeah. something like that. Uh, I, I, I'm good if we, if we get to go to Death Valley or Clemson gets to come to us or we get See to that? play USC in the Coliseum or they, or they come to the shoe every third, fourth, I think that'd be great. Right. Would I rather Ohio State play Oregon, UCLA, USC, Washington, Arizona State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, than Rutgers or Maryland or Indiana or Illinois or Purdue or Northwestern? Yeah. Yeah, I would. It's just a, a, fact, a fact of life that I would rather see more interesting matchups than what has currently filled out Ohio State's schedule. This is a, maybe a dumb question. I don't even know, but I'm just kind of spitballing as I'm thinking here. D- does a, a situation like this where you make a schedule change like this and you create the historic alliance, or I think Gary Barta just referred to it as the alliance, capital T, right. capital T, capital A, the alliance, does it potentially contribute to the instability of conference situations in, in the country, or does it do the opposite? I think Because I don't, I don't know that I'm, I have a clear feeling on that one way or the other. At some point, Somebody from the NFL is going to wise up and realize that it is in the NFL's best interest that college football get their head out of their bleep. And they're going to create a super league. They're going to create an NFL minor league where they're going to take 32 teams, probably not even that many, and put them in their own conference. And they still be the Big Ten for, you know, volleyball, baseball, 
But for football, it's going to be big boy time. There's too much money to be made, and there's too much interest for in the NFL for the sport to stay nationwide rather than completely regionalize the Southeast. That it's going to be in the NFL's best interest to invest in college football being its own entity rather than the way it's operated before. I mean, college football operates separate from the NCAA and from, yeah. um, well, all of these schools eventually probably operate that way. They, the NCAA may may go away if you listen to the really smart people I think that are trying to project out where we might be. And if they're saying we might be there in five to 10 years, we might be there in you know, 20. 20 to 25, whichever. I'm, I'm hoping I'm still kicking around to watch it happen. And uh, the likelihood is I won't be sitting behind this mic <laughs> when we probably get to that not. point. But uh I, I think it's an interesting discussion that the Big Ten is having because I really do believe, I mean, they are sincerely looking at, at a couple of things. One, the alliance is good for us in strengthening our position within this playoff, uh, and if the playoff expands, then that's in everybody's best interest. I, I just don't know that any change that they make can actually be a super positive change for Ohio State. I don't necessarily think it's a negative thing, but having a division that you pretty much dominate yeah, and... With rare exception, and you can don't at me, people. It was one year. With rare exception, you don't get to the Big Ten title game for dominating your division, and it has been rare since the divisions existed. Say what you will about that. It was a comfortable spot for Ohio State and provided them a, something of an advantage to say, well, you know, if all things go remotely close to as expected, we're going to be in the Big Ten title game, and if we win that, we're going to be in the playoff. Not having a division to create that, and and maybe the depending year to year what the strength of individual teams is this schedule might make it harder for them to be big 10 champs and see that's the the, there's going to inherently be an imbalance somewhere probably to be honest at the top of the big 10 where ohio state's three games are michigan michigan state penn state and purdue's games are northwestern illinois and indiana well that's a decided advantage for purdue Almost unequivocally. And how long will we be into this divisionless arrangement before that happens and people are just absolutely right. losing their people ever-loving minds for how unfair it is? How the hell does some, <laughs> somehow, if Illinois gets to be good under Burt, I don't know that they will, but that their three games are Indiana, Purdue, and Northwestern. <laughs> He's like a middle-aged, overweight butthead, and I yeah. can't Oh, no, at it's 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Is, it absolutely looks like Mike Judge drew him in his mother's room. <laughs> it's it's an undeniable fact. Now, how Butthead ever would have grown up to coach college football, I don't know. But <laughs> let's go. I'll go I formation. Power O right. 36 friend. Okay. <laughs> and yet, if some, somehow, some way, they get to the Big Ten championship game and they're permanent games are against crap opponents where Ohio State's beating Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, or they get left out because they've got a loss or two losses because their conference schedule was significantly tougher. If you get a schedule where your eight games are Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska, that's a hell of a lot more difficult than somebody else is going to have. So here's a little bit of a right turn away from what we're... Is there a reason why... Does it strike you as odd that, that the voice on this whole conversation right now is Gary Barta? Yes and no. One, I think... The Iowa AD, right? I mean... He's on the college football playoff selection committee. So he might be saying, this is what you dumbasses have <laughs> driven me to do because we can't expand. <laughs> because now we have to play one less conference game because you 
my league is making me stand right. up and tell you this because I have to work with you people. At the same time, I think <laughs> part of it might just be we're gonna we're gonna air this out a bit, let this seep out, and see what the reaction is. And if people don't hate it, let's do it. Because one of the we we talked about Dave Brandon, the former Michigan athletic director, earlier in the week. Absolute dunce. But the smartest thing he ever did was leak out that the Big Ten was looking at changing Ohio State Michigan from the last game of the year because it's a test balloon. And when people are vehemently against it, they go, Oh wait, okay, never mind. Yeah, we that was just a it was a, just right. a talking point. So Gary Barta sends out that test balloon of are people pissed if we get rid of football divisions? Well, and, and I don't what, know, leak it to somebody. And what journalists will do, and what they are doing, is writing it up as the Big Ten is doing away with divisions. I mean, they, they, it's being written as though it, the decision has been made. That would lead me to believe that the test balloon is basically being floated out there because they've already got some right. quote-unquote polling data that gives them a pretty strong yeah. indication of what the response might be. I think so. And they're just basically letting the college football playoff committee know. Hey, here's like, what we're doing. If, if you guys don't but, make a decision soon, if we're unable to get a decision reached on expansion, then this is our response to that. But at the same time, they're saying to Fox and ESPN, hey, you know that... Uh, Historic alliance is out here. Well, you know, the the Ohio State-Rutgers game doesn't generally do a whole lot for you. How about Ohio State-USC? Ohio State-Clemson? Ohio State-UCLA? Washington, Oregon? Michigan versus... Come on, throw North another Carolina. ACC team in there. <laughs> <laughs> Notre, Notre Dame. Wake uh, Forest. <laughs> like, yeah, because, and that's the problem is is if this has to work, it, you can't be Ohio State, Washington State. It, it can't be Ohio State, Wake Forest. And no disrespect to those two schools, except Dave Clawson was kind of a dick when we would have him on every week. If I could just share, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'll, I might want to press that button. I don't know. Dave Clawson was an absolute jerk. When he was the head coach at Bowling Green, I have never met a more unpleasant man than that bastard. <laughs> you have shared that exact sentiment with me on more than one occasion off air. <laughs> he, he was miserable human being. Miserable. <laughs> so I kind of hate Wake Forest just a little bit. But you, have, <laughs> but you have to be a little more interesting of a matchup than that if you're going think, to do this. I would think so. Here's what I know. Divisions, no divisions. It's been this way for 100 years. It's going to be this way for the next 100. Ohio State or Michigan is going to be the Big Ten champion or the presumed Big Ten champion. If they aren't, it's going to be because somebody knocked them off and surprised college football to become Big Ten champions. So I guess in the grand scheme from 30,000 feet, it may not be that big of a deal. But with the historic alliance on the horizon and possible playoff expansion, I think the Big Ten's trying to position themselves in a way that allows them to be in a better place to maybe get more than one team into that situation. And I guess that's good for the league. Stay tuned. We'll keep you posted as we learn things. We're going to take another Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it'll be time for poll results and water cooler conversation. Got a good one for you, Michigan fans. So hang right Ooh. in there with us after this Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio 93 won the fan. Final segment here on the fan. Cookie and the Monster with you, Garrett. Let's, let's uh, get those Twitter poll results. Yeah, we asked, should the Big Ten do away with football divisions? 63% say yes. We also asked, if they do away with football divisions, which three teams should be Ohio State's permanent games? Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, the leader, with 48%. Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin, a close second at 37.5%. Not bad. Hey, Michigan fans, my, my water cooler conversation is like to have with you if you could meet me at the water cooler. It sounds like 
it's virtually a done deal that your defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, who, you know, sparked the biggest turnaround maybe in program history defensively. Did you know, Garrett, that they were 95th in the country in scoring defense in 2020? I did not. And they were 8th this year? Did not know that. That's not an insignificant turnaround. We know no, that they not. beat Ohio State. We know that they made the college football playoff. They went from 2-4 and four last year in that messed up COVID garbage deal to 12-2 and two this year. Mike McDonald is, what, 34 years old, was on the Ravens staff, and his brother, Harbaugh's brother says, you need a new D.C., you ought to hire this guy. And so he leased him for a year, now his brother's wanting him back. <laughs> he is expected to be named the Baltimore Ravens' new defensive coordinator after Wink Martindale was fired or stepped down or agreed to leave a couple of weeks ago. And now it looks like Mike McDonald is going to go back and be the Ravens' D.C. An announcement is expected in the next few days because he's been replaced on the road in recruiting by a graduate assistant. <laughs> those, are, I just, those are two ends of the spectrum yeah, there strikes me as a little bit funny whoever dylan roney is their graduate assistant he's out there as a recruiter for the university of michigan because their dc it looks like is going to be leaving i don't know if that's good news or bad news i'm going to be the first guy to say it if you need to hire somebody hire don brown back that was good don brown was underappreciated as the michigan defensive coordinator so i'm all in favor of that you got anything for the water cooler today uh i didn't know that wink martindale was is from dayton and is a Defiance College graduate. Oh, I knew he was. From, I thought he was from Southwest. I thought Cincinnati, yeah. but Dayton. I didn't know he went to DC. No yeah, way. Went to Defiance College and started his coaching career at Defiance College. I wonder what he's going to do now. He's not going back to Defiance, but well, yeah. the the, the Ravens have moved on. Martindale's going to find a job. He's a pretty well respected guy. Yeah, I, when I searched for Wink Martindale on on the Google, it came up like four different. Like, should the Seattle Seahawks sign Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator? So he's going to get a job somewhere. I would say he certainly is, but Michigan looks like he's going to lose their defensive coordinator, and obviously for Michigan, that's bad news. The guy was phenomenal. He did a remarkable job, and he's a young, young yep. guy. If you want to stay tuned here on the fan, we got a big night of sports. We're done, but the Calgary Flames and the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to be up at 6.30 p.m. airtime. Just a little bit of ESPN Radio after that. And, of course, you can join us back here at 4 o'clock tomorrow for the next edition of Cookie and the Monster. We look forward to hanging with you tomorrow night. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much to our guests, Dre White of Upper Side Valley, Trey Elkert of Walpawk High School, and to Bob McGilligot for joining us for the Blue Jackets Blast. We appreciate you and hope that you'll join us again tomorrow night, 4 to 6, Cooking the Monster with you each and every weekday right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the Fan. Have a great night, everybody.